This is Jeremy Jung, and today I'm talking to Brian Douglas. He's a senior developer advocate at GitHub, the host of Jamstack Radio, and the creator of OpenSauce, an application to help new contributors to open source. Brian, welcome to Software Sessions. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for having me on. The, the first thing I want to get into is what's the biggest barrier for people getting into open source? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I think the barrier for open source is something I found or discovered right off the bat. I've been developing for over seven years now, I guess, uh, what is 2020, so 2013. Yeah, seven years-ish. And getting the open source can be daunting, especially if you don't know where to get started. So I think the biggest barrier is actually onboarding. And it's just knowing, is the contributing MD the proper place to go to, or is there some other secret channel somewhere, or a Slack group, or something else where you could actually get a, a relationship with the project? Because I think a lot of us, we we leverage a lot of these tools that are open source and go years of leveraging them without even knowing you know, who's contributing to them, who's powering it, what community is involved, or if any, in the project. So like, just knowing where to start is usually the hardest part. I think I think that we do a good job as a community, developer community. Like there are guides on how to contribute, like open a pull request, manage your commits and stuff like that. But there's no guide of like how to say hello when it comes to giving your first open source contribution. Just not knowing where to start, even if there is a contributing and you know there's yeah. issues out there. People are like, I don't know which one to pick up. I don't know who to talk to first. Like it's just kind of it's like awkward, I guess. Yeah, there's no. Each project is different, so there's no centralized, you know, contributing MD file that everybody is sourcing from. So, where one project can be like, could say, okay, contributing MD, get clone, you know, get check out a new branch, get push origin, and then uh, that's it. And some of them don't even have contributing MD. Some of them are just readmes. Then you go to the readme, and there could be mis- missing information. Some projects don't have readmes. Some projects have readmes and websites and documentation and Slack groups. So, like, not knowing the balance of how to actually get involved in the project. And I think what it really comes down to is if I start a new job, the first thing I'm going to get is like a step by step. Okay, here's your laptop. Here's how to do this thing. Here's how to clone the repo. Here's who to talk to. Uh, a lot of projects don't have that. Like, they don't have like area owners, plugin owners, like, Who's on the review team? Who's on the triage team? Like, how big is a contributing group? Like, you can go into the GitHub repo and discover it all. But it'd be nice if someone just gave you a piece of paper or one file to get all that information. I think we've sort of grown out of the contributing MD and we need something else. When you are looking at an open source project, there's all these different issues, whether it's bugs or feature requests, and it can be hard to know which things are suited for your skill level. And yeah. what do you kind of think is the the solution for that, for somebody trying to pick out that issue that, that would work for them? Yeah, and I mean, the easy answer is like, they have labels like good first issue and like documentation. If some people don't know this, if you go to any GitHub repo, so like github.com slash node.js slash node, or node node, I think is what it is, slash contribute. So if you add slash contribute on the URL, you can actually see all the issues that are available for ups for grabs, and you can actually uh, leverage and, and jump into. I don't actually recommend doing all that first and going to labels. I think the very first step is actually talking to a person. So the quickest place that you can find communication synchronous of like, hey, I'm looking to contribute. I've been using this thing for you know six months on this project. I just want to give back. I had this idea for a feature, like. Open issue, like ask questions on the issue, or even like now we have a feature at, at GitHub called discussions. 
in addition to that, like go into the discussion, but also limit the amount of back and forth you have to do asynchronous and just go directly to the source, which is the person who is like on call or ready to to chat with you. And I think a lot of a lot of projects have discords now. So like find the Discord link and then jump in there and say hello. Uh, because your experience is going to be completely different when you're actually talking to somebody and asking questions synchronously. You know, Discord, like the, the tr- chat scrolls, so it doesn't matter if you say like a, a random question or you ask a question that's been asked hundred times. Like someone will give you a link, but it's better to do that than to be the person on the issue asking the same question for the fourth time or asking the wrong question at the wrong time. I think that's a little daunting as well if you don't know how the project, the the underlying secret sauce of the project is actually laid out for you. When I think about open source. I think of, about a lot of that communication being asynchronous, right? Being through the issues, being through emails, mailing lists, things like that. And you're kind of saying, if you're first starting out, actually the best thing would be to to find more synchronous communication. Find that Discord room or or Gitter or you know whatever yeah. it is, where you can actually have a conversation with someone. Yeah, and to be fair too, I'm I'm catering this board towards like a beginner open source contributor. If you're experienced, like do do the regular thing, like go to the issue, open up the PR, and like you don't no need to like look for synchronous communication if you know how to solve the problem. But I think where it is like opens, so GitHub itself is like 50 million developers worldwide. There's not 50 million developers doing open source. Like the, this, let's just be clear on that. So there's a big like difference between the users on GitHub who are just shipping code like normal, building websites for their for their companies or mobile apps or whatever it is. To the people who are actually contributing the code that's powering all that stuff and powering GitHub as well. So I, I've been using this term called unintentional gatekeeping. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I want to write a blog post on this because it's around the the flow of information. So if I happen to be in the right Slack channel or the light right Discord, I have more information than the person who's not there. Because there's there's more information flowing through there than there are publicly on issues. Because issues are more of like they're treated as like a statement of work, you know, you're de- declaring that this is the way it's working, or you're declaring that you know it's broken, and next steps to reproduce it or whatever it is. And same thing with PRs, like you're just declaring this is the work I've done, this is the next steps, you review it. It's very uh, robotic, but like when you have that relationship that's built in a Slack channel, and like this is similar if you go to meetups or if you happen to know somebody from like you know college or high school or whatever it is, like. Very similar. That relationship is like a relationship that helps give you that extra edge. And I think when we talk about things like tech, like there's definitely a, a there's definitely a lot of conversation about diversity, especially today. So when we have like diversity of like backgrounds, diversity of culture, um, where people are coming from, you tend to find a lot of the especially newer, smaller startups have like a monocultured diversity, and like people are well aware. But there are VCs who are actually telling us. You know, it doesn't matter when you first start out. This build the product, get all your friends in the same room, build the only the culture fits and stuff like that, and then let's just move on. And then we'll figure it out when like the company is like much bigger and it has like much bigger issues. So uh, I say all this because there's opportunity for people to like become quote unquote of the culture of the, the open source project by just being in the room, like just being in the room and listening. And if you do, if you find out that the maintainer or the contributors are not your your cup of tea, you can just move away and move to another project or fork the project and create a, a new project that's similar but has a different culture. Like open source, a lot of these things are MIT licenses, no limitation for you to to try things out and maybe uh, copy code and create your own project and see if it, if there's uh, growth in that that approach. I don't recommend that, but if that's your approach, like definitely try it out. 
Another thing that I often hear when people talk about wanting to get into open source is they have trouble finding someone to kind of mentor them or help them through the process. I wonder what are your your thoughts on on how we can improve that experience? Yeah, this is like more on the the maintainer individuals who are managing the projects. I would say that there's there's all, I mentioned the the onboarding experience. Like there's obviously opportunity for them to have a better onboarding like have some clear steps of what your expectations are for people to contribute to a project, not just how to clone it and open a PR, but more of like how do you report an issue? Like is there a template for reporting issues that can guide the person into actually asking the right question as opposed to free for all, uh, and then your your issues turn into Stack Overflow, which is not the best place to ask questions. Is GitHub issues like you can do that, but Stack Overflow is an entire platform built for that reason. So, how do you kick people from issues to Stack Overflow instead? So I I, I say that, and then um, we didn't talk about like what sort of code we write, but I do a lot of JavaScript. And uh, there's this one library called ExpressJS. I just built some quick servers for your websites and web apps. And uh, ExpressJS actually just shipped something really recently. I think back in April, they merged in this new, I guess, quote unquote, feature or guide, which is called the Triage Guide. I don't know. If, are you familiar with this at all? Did I'm you not. See this? Um... Yeah. So basically, what they're doing is they're instead of saying, "Hey, we have a lot of issues. Like, just go ahead and pick one up and like, you know, merge it, and or not even merge it. Just open a PR, and we'll we'll go back and forth for like weeks or months, and then we'll eventually merge it. Instead, they're saying if you want to intro into Express, you don't have to know anything about Express. You don't have to use Express. We have this role called the triage role, and it's it's a, literally a team in the org that you can join if you just raise your hand. And your job is to triage issues. So if someone provides an issue. If they don't provide reproduction steps, you kick it back and say, "Hey, can you provide reproduction steps?" So, like, if you don't know how to do it, then like the maintainer probably won't know how to do it, or maybe they do, but like that's a lot of time um, for them. So, joining like a triage role, having an opportunity to do that, to label issues, to mark things as ready for review or ready to contribute or whatever, or good first issue or whatever it is, like that's Express has a lot of issues, and there's a lot of time spent trying to figure out is this valid or is this not. They're actually taking help from the open source community, giving them a badge, which is the triage role in the project, so it shows up on their profile. That was great for prospective employers. Like, hey, you're in the org, like we're using Express, like you have access to the maintainers, like maybe we can get our features on there. That's like kind of eye opening, and it's eye opening that I have not seen that at all until very recently. So, me personally, for my project, I just I just launched a triage role because I want people to be able to. Have an introduction into my project, which is a React app, without needing to know React. Like all you have to do is know how to answer questions or how to find information. If you don't, there's like there's other people on the team that can help guide you, and we have a Discord as well that can guide you to actually getting things shipped. I, I've noticed when you watch people's live streams for coding who work on open source projects, a lot of the time they spend is actually on issue triage, is on looking through all these GitHub issues, figuring out which ones are valid and which ones are not. And so I, I think that's an interesting idea of getting people started there and so that they get to see the process of open source without necessarily yeah. need, needing to jump straight into the the technical details. So that's actually that's an interesting path to to kind of get more involved. Yeah, I, I like it. I'm curious of what Twitch streamers you watch too as well because I've been trying to collect a list of myself. But I've, I like watching people do open source. Actually, I think right now Jason Linkstore is actually doing some open source right now on his Twitch stream. I'll catch the uh, the vod later. 
But yeah, I think that's actually a good thing you brought up too as well, because I've been doing some Twitch stream myself and trying to figure out like what is the purpose for live coding on Twitch. Is it to give webinar type tutorials, like screencast? Is it to interview like what we're doing on a podcast or do that on, as a Twitch stream? And what I've found my, my sort of like niche or what I like to do on Twitch streams is actually do exactly that, triage issues. I'm actually going to be live streaming later today and I've been doing some sketch, some UI building. I'm not a designer at all, but I took a course uh, last fall and learned how to use Sketch to build some UI templates to sort of not have to rely on somebody else to actually get me across the, the goal line for shipping projects. So I'm going to spend like 90 minutes just building out some UI and actually trying Figma for the first time too as well. Because Figma, like it's sort of like the GitHub for designers. I'm not sure if that's like the summary of their product. I don't work there, but uh, yeah. So basically, I'll be doing Figma. I'll be building out some UIs and some wireframes to sort of figure out how the next steps. Because I've got a backlog of, of features I want to add to my project, but I don't know how to how to tell people that this is how we're going to work on it. Because I have a whole like I think 17 contributors at this point. Uh, I was going to say team, but like they're contributors. Like we we do have teams and squads or whatever. But uh, yeah, so it's easier for me to like get everything in my head and the vision for the project out onto like a UI and let individuals know. So like, yeah. But uh, my question I first asked, like, I'm curious, who are you watching on Twitch? Yeah, so I kind of just dabble a little bit. One of the people that I find interesting is uh, Suze Hinton. And sometimes it's like issue triage type stuff, but also sometimes she works on more hardware type projects and sort of the intersection between working with JavaScript but actually working with physical hardware and actually wiring stuff up. I don't watch a lot of streams. I kind of just kind of check them out every now and again. But the things that are interesting for me is being able to see someone's thought process. Because often when you watch a streamer, they're, they're talking through their process and what they're thinking. And whether it's doing triage or whether it's working on a a bug um, or a feature, you get to sort of see how somebody works in a way that you wouldn't just from a screencast. Uh, With a screencast uh, or a lecture, it's like very, they're very well prepared. They've been practicing whatever they're trying to teach. Whereas in a stream, it's kind of more this is something that they haven't done before and you're just kind of going through that process with them. Yeah, Sue's Sue's Hinton. I guess is is it Nopecat or no, Noopcat? Yeah, Noopcat. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, not hearing the word said out loud. I say Noop and Nope and Noop all the I interchange. It's they're like probably all they're probably all right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've actually watched Sue's and I, I like her. I like her style and I like actually the projects that she works on too as well. Uh, I've have yet to catch her live in a while. So I don't know if she stopped streaming. I know she was live recently, but yeah, I have not caught her live. But yeah, I like. Similar to yourself, like I, I like seeing the, the thought process and sort of the people walking through how to build things. Because the thing about, like at the moment, like a lot of us are working from home, especially still in the state of California. And uh, like we're not sitting next to our coworkers anymore and asking those questions. So, like, I think Twitch is in the last three months, it's sort of exploded with live coders and live coders, as in this general people who, are, who live stream and code at the same time. Because I think a lot of people have sort of just figured out, like, hey, I need to have community, and I'm not getting it through my my team Slack channel. So it's been an interesting transition as as far as like a, a whole other culture, I guess per se, that's sort of growing on Twitch at the moment. For sure. And then for yourself, like as the person who is doing the streaming, what what do you kind of get out of it, and what are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, it just comes down to community. Um, I started the stream 
mainly because I wanted to have a place to start throwing my ideas out there for the project I'm working on right now, which is open source. And uh, I started streaming two years ago. I heard of people doing live coding on Twitch, but it wasn't very popular at all. The only handful of people were doing it. And I even talked to some people at Twitch about it too as well, some people who were just familiar with this space and more knowledgeable. And uh, so I, I started doing it, but I didn't really have the, the proper like equipment. I had my Mac, and I was just streaming from my Mac. And like, like nowadays, you got to have like proper lighting and sort of up the game a bit, and uh, a green screen as well, which I'm sort of sitting in front of at the moment. I was doing that, but then I sort of fell off because my daughter was born just a couple months after that. So I took time off for work, but also took time off from coding just to like enjoy some paternal leave. But anyway, fast forward to very recently, which is a couple months ago, I started streaming again, focused on trying to build a project, an open source project, and just have a place to just write code consistently because my, my day job is developer advocate and I don't have any long-standing projects that I work on on a regular basis. Like A lot of stuff I work on, it just sort of ships complete and then like we just don't touch it unless there's something broken. So once I get done with the actually shipping something, I just... I move on to the next thing. So there's nothing that I can like feel proud of that I continue to work on or learn the like the latest and greatest things of like Vue.js or whatever. Like I shipped Vue projects, but I move on and they just work until I have to do maintenance on it. So I wanted to have a place to also have a consistent place where I could just talk about a story of a project that I was working on, which again I keep mentioning it, which is open source. And since then I've actually built a community of quite a few uh, developers interested in the same problem I'm trying to solve, which is Open source onboarding. Let's get a little bit into open source. You know, we were talking about a lot of different troubles that people have when they're trying to get into open source. Uh, how is open source trying to address those? Yeah, so I mean, I kind of like teed it up for me earlier with the whole uh, trouble getting the open source. It's onboarding. So I'm we're building a platform to provide structured onboarding for open source projects. So like me connecting with maintainers and projects to add a simple YAML file to the project so that way anybody who navigates to the project on open source can have a good like step-by-step process of like who to talk to, how to get involved in the project, where to go for the synchronous communication. The other thing is that tracking projects as well is something you can do on GitHub, but it's not really built for that, at least today. Like hopefully GitHub uh, gets on board and like puts open source or adopts a lot of the features that we're sort of building. But the the goal is not to track projects you're already a part of or even track projects that, that you're working on. It's more of like tracking pot projects that you want to quote unquote stalk. Um, so like a GitHub star is a thing. Sort of like you hit a star or like or whatever on a project and it goes into like a list. And usually most people just forget about that list because you just add a star. Like that's about it. It's like sort of Instagram. You just add a like and you move on. Uh, and that's what GitHub stars have become. So it's hard to track things that you're interested in based on stars. You could watch projects, but then when you start watching projects, it becomes like a basically signal-to-noise ratio. So then you, if a very popular project, you don't know what you're looking at. So then you you sort of you fall off immediately because this is too much information or not enough information, one or the other. So then, yeah, so basically there's not, not a lot of tools. So I think a couple of years ago, actually when we met a couple of years ago, I just shipped a little side project for myself, which is essentially bookmarking issues, issues that I wanted to work on, uh, on GitHub. And I actually, so my day job is at GitHub, so I've actually seen internally this this feature be built a couple times, but we sort of backed away from it because it didn't really solve the right problem. And so as soon as I joined GitHub, I was like, oh, maybe I won't work on this thing anymore. Uh, so I took a, a bit of a break and then noticed that we weren't shipping it, so I just picked it up recently 
kidney down it, but essentially you could find the project you're interested in, find issues that you're interested in, and mark them to save, and then manage the sort of note taking. So if you want to take notes on like, you know, this is the maintainer to talk to, this is an example that I can actually leverage to solve problems or help triage things. Or even like, so I was uh, trying to contribute to the graphical open source project, graphical being like, it's like a little playground to test out GraphQL queries. And trying to contribute to that was actually pretty hard. There was a lot of context I missed. And at the time, the project itself was transitioning from Facebook's org to the GraphQL Foundation. Uh, but also, pretty much everybody who was becoming maintainers on the project were actually transitioning and, and owning the project. So like, there's a like, sort of like a rough transition into that moving from org to org. But also, the maintainers becoming like acclimated to the project as well. Like they were all familiar with it, but like now they own it. So they're all sort of trying to figure out the best practices and like how to clean it up. So at that time, that's when I was trying to contribute. So I was looking through the issues and I'm like, man, I, I think I could solve this one, but I'm not finding the, the bugs actually kind of invalid because it seems to be fixed. So they had a ton of old issues that were just sitting there that were invalid from that because of transition, because they had fixed a bunch of stuff. They were still getting acclimated. No one went through and like closed out a bunch of old issues. And like to close out a bunch of issues is automatically with no reason or question, kind of just sends a wrong signal to the users. So it, it just sat. And I tried, I tried working on an issue that was invalid. And I discovered that when I, I commented on the issue with my sort of thought process, uh, the maintainer, one of the maintainers came back to me and was like, hey, this is actually invalid. All that backstory I just told you, he told me right there in the issue. And he's also like, hey, we also have the Discord um, that you should come and chat with if you want to work on anything else. And I was like, oh, okay, that's weird. Like In the repo, there was nothing about a Discord. They've since added it. But then I was able to get all that context, the conversation, the questions, like what is happening with this project, like where can I help out, all in Discord. So that's like that's sort of the summary. That story is a summary of like what I'm trying to accomplish. Like no one, like myself, needs to go into a project confused with skills, like knowing that they can actually do something to fix problems, but they don't know where to start and they don't know how to like approach it because the way I do code at GitHub is different than the way Graphical is doing it uh, in their repo. So that's that's sort of like the high level goals and some other features that we're trying to work on, but. We're always taking ideas. We do have, uh, if you go to opensauce.pizza, that's the actual website that's live, github.com slash opensauce. That also exists for anybody who wants to contribute or just ask questions. Like open ideas, open the cool ideas or bad ideas, doesn't matter. Open up a discussion. We'd love to hear what problems they're, they're, they're facing in open source. Do you envision this being something where the list of projects is curated, or is it more somebody can pick any project on GitHub? There are projects that do curation for open source projects. So, like GitHub has a feature, the Explore feature. You can sign up for a newsletter, you get a bunch of projects every every night or every every week. I forget what the cadence is. And then Changelog has like a nightly. The most popular projects, you know, here's a list of them. Check them out. And then there's like also Code Triage, which is another project too as well, where you can also be curated a list of like Ruby projects or JavaScript projects as well. Though we do want to have curation as a feature, like this is more the, you know there's a repo that you're using or a library that you're using. Add the library or the repo, the, this the URL, to OpenSauce, your dashboard. Uh, and this is all login, login through GitHub. It's using your own data. So what we do is the backend's all open source repo. So when you log in, you click the Create the Repo button, it starts tracking all your notes and all the issues in the repo itself 
all open source. Uh, so once you've done that, then you have like a nice tracking issue to then say, like, okay, I've looked at this issue, I looked at this issue, does it work, invalid, or whatever, I close this. We also track your contributions as well. So if you do any sort of PRs, they'll be showed up in the list. But also in addition to that, it also tracks your issue contributions. So if you comment on issue, it shows that in the list as well. So that in the eyes of open source, non-technical contributions are contributions. So it's another thing that I, I, I stand on, which is just because you don't have a green square for that day doesn't mean you didn't do anything. The, the platform itself, like to answer your original question, like no curation today, curation in the future, maybe it is on the roadmap. It's not actually realized in like a plan. But the focus really is around, if I already know the project I want to get involved in, can I just take it to open source and get all the information I need digested so I can just sort of click the steps, one, two, three, even hammer down on that onboarding experience. Like, There's a project called Babel. They do transpiling for JavaScript for different versions. Like, One of the best things you can do if you want to contribute to Babel is use Babel. Like, I did mention triaging is another thing you can do, but like, if you already know how to do it and like, you're ready to start, Use Babel, use Babel plugins, build a Babel plugin. Like, try going that far and seeing actually how it actually works under the hood and how you interact with the actual the, the Babel core library. So that's like a recommendation. And that's like a re- recommendation I'm actually trying to work with that team, hopefully. I, I talked to them months ago, but I haven't really picked up the conversation because I wanted to focus on actually getting the dashboard working. But I would like to see, as an onboard experience, if it's like a Webpack or if it's Babel or something else, as part of my onboard experience, build a simple tool or clone or hello world to actually get my brain wrapped around it. So that way you can confidently go in there and answer questions around, you know, how is this broken for this user and how can I fix it in the context of what I know? So it sounds like coming up with, I'm not sure what you would call it, almost like an exercise of before you contribute to this project, here's a well-defined thing that you can build so that you have an idea of how to tackle a real problem. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think it's easier for some projects than others, but I think that's on the maintainer to say, "Hey, here's this here's the guide, like the sort of like contributor guide, but in, in addition to the contributor guide, here's the actual action items to do to get yourself up to speed." So, whether it's if it's build something on your own or just actually clone one of the example repos and walk through that, like those are all possibilities, but it's it's up to the maintainer. Not everybody has to have the same sort of step or guides or like not everybody's working on projects on the web. But as long as you have the steps, that's all that matters. So if someone actually knows what the step is to actually get started, that's helpful. And like we're talking about like at the moment we're currently in like a existential crisis as at least America is. And there's a lot of people who have been underserved by their their leaders and their their community leaders and like even the the higher level government and like you go into cities and there's like a different this so like take like LA county LA has one of the largest police forces in the United States LA has one of the worst public school systems in the United States so like I I know we're talking about like uh political issues like I wouldn't have to go too deep in that but really what it comes down to is like actually information sharing. So if somebody who is in LA County and working towards life skills or just like growing their career or whatnot, if they have to go to the public school system there, they're gonna miss out on a lot. Like there's gonna be a lot of information they just don't know. And if you have to be just one county over, which is Orange County, then you're you're in such a better experience and a such a much better like step up. 
And I think this comes down to like, if I want to contribute to open source and I want to level up my, my skill as my career, like, am I getting the right information by contributing to this project or even, even using this project? Like, I think that should be a decision that we should make as far as contributing the projects. Like, if there are, are not people going in there and contributing and it's like that free form, like free flowing information, and there happens to be few people who are managing the project, uh, whether it's good or bad, that should be eye opening because then you have one or two points of failure. Like, one person, you know, gets sick or has a kid or takes time off, then it's down to the, the one person left over to actually contribute. And there's nobody else in this entire developer community that has knowledge to actually contribute back. This is like maybe not popular to talk about, but like even like things like like Facebook has a lot of open source projects that we are leveraging entire products we are features or companies on. But the only people who work on that are technically Facebook employees. So is that really open source? And I know I know like things like React, they do have contributors outside, but the individuals making all the decisions are internal Facebook employees. And like I know they have the best interest in the open source community. Yes, yes, and that all that stuff. So like, I'm picking on them because they just have to be the, the example I have on top of my head. But it doesn't seem like information is really flowing and and back and forth. And maybe I could be corrected too. I'm happy to be corrected on that. And if there's information on the React community that allows people to onboard a lot easier, then I'm all for hearing it. I'll probably do my research after this podcast because I, I sort of pulled them out of thin air and picked on them without having any sort of backing statement. But anyway, regardless, there are projects that do not have information flowing that we're supporting or we're leveraging in our projects. So whether it's React or not, there, we, should, we should take a hard look on is there proper onboarding for anybody to basically jump in there and, and get things done? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point in terms of when you have companies, whether it's Facebook or any other company, uh, you have people who are being paid to work on these open source projects. And ultimately, the company that's paying, they want to get something that's of value to their own company, right? And whether it's of benefit to the rest of the open source community is, you know, it may or may not be front of mind. So I, I think that that's an interesting sort of, I don't know if you would call it a problem, but a, a discussion to have. How much control do companies have over the software we use? And is it too much? And on the flip side, it's like, if it's not companies doing it, then it's volunteers doing it. And so, you know, is that maybe that's an issue too, right? Like that we're relying on so much software that's being worked on by people for free. So I'm, I'm not sure where the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's the, that's the thing that I, I, I like discussing too as well, which is not just the sort of onboarding decentralization of open source like future. This might be a, it's counterintuitive to everything I said before, but when you talk about like working for free, there is money being funneled in open source. And again, I'm, I, I apologize for picking on projects that people love and leveraging their their projects day to day. But like, look at a project like Webpack, and I only pick on them because I know them and I use them and I know the, the maintainers as well. But you see, the the project is making half a million dollars a year just in contributions to Open Collective. So that's the one location that I've actually I've looked at, and I, I can sort of cite today because I've just looked at it recently. But that that actually pays contributors to contract. To help solve and squash bugs, so like when you look at that's that's awesome actually. I, I hats off to them, and I think we should see more of that. Like I don't think that's a bad thing, just to be clear. But what about projects like you know Rollup or you know Parcel or all these other bundlers and packagers and stuff like that? 
Like those are all valuable projects, but they're not getting the same sort of funding. So like, do we, do we then are we voting by the dollars that we donate as well? And uh, that's another question that I was asked. But and like, I'm not here to say that's wrong or bad. Like, I'm happy to fund other people doing open source because I think it's it's more about not about true open source like the Richard Stallman like open source everything type of deal. Basically, what I'm getting at is that we should we should put our I guess our dollars where the mouth is. But also, we should put our money in the things that are actually providing value and providing information and providing access to all developers as well. Like the, the best thing about this is that, like, you have all these bootcamp grads, all these college students are just like coming out the gate, like this leveled up and like ready to ready to ship day one, which is great. Like, there's no like month long process of like uh, you're only stuck to doing bugs or reading you know articles. You can actually ship code day one because you you have the GitHub account. While you're in college, you have access to all open source technology. So if you want to build a quick website or a Minecraft server, whatever it is, you know how to interact like with Stack Overflow and forums and answer questions to get your job done. And that information sharing has like kind of exploded the ability for us to grow our developer community, us to be able to hire developers and train them quick. And like all bootcamp grads only two years behind from anybody else because they just need two years of experience. To actually get up to speed, because the web, the mobile, everything like code changes quickly. Well, not all code, not all code's the same, but I can I can speak for the web. The web quick moves quickly, so you're only two years behind. You know, the last person. Yeah, I think that's that's really great that more people are getting exposed to the the idea of what open source is and and having the skills to be able to contribute and. And what I also think is interesting is Dan Abramov, who's on the React Core team, and he's also the creator of Redux. He was talking on a podcast, and he was saying like he has all these projects that he no longer maintains that he used to work on, and you know he feels a little guilty about it. But he was also saying that if somebody comes in and takes over those projects, some of them when he was working on them, he was working on them at Facebook. So he was getting paid to work on them. And when you have somebody come in who's coming in on a volunteer basis, it's I'm not sure the word he used. It's it's almost like they've been tricked, I guess, is what he was saying. Is, you know, I was working on this thing, getting paid for um, by my employer, and somebody else is coming in and, and taking that on for free. And so there's this kind of interesting imbalance in terms of the people who are getting paid to work on it and the people who aren't. Yeah. It, I mean, that's it's a challenge because there's a lot of people actually with the graphical founder, or sorry, maintainer I was talking to, he's getting paid full time to work on graphical. So there isn't a balance. Like he definitely is a knowledge holder, but I think that's a testament to like I, I spent at least up two minutes uh, like dogging Facebook, but also it's a testament to Facebook that they actually value putting open source maintainers there full time to support the community and also even open sourcing it. In general, like there was a time when I first got into programming where you didn't open source stuff just because, like, it didn't make any sense. Like, I I talked to people at Pinterest and like they they open source some things, like the they had a very similar like front end framework which they called Denzel, and like maybe it was open source. I don't remember, but also I never even heard of it until I talked to someone at Pinterest. Facebook put the time into actually promoting it, like put putting a conference on and actually getting people to care about it. And saying like, "Hey, no, this is actually the way to do it." Like, they get value because if you know React, then it's easier to get hired at Facebook. Despite the fact that like they don't actually use React in their interviews, but 
it is a leg up. Like you're knowledgeable that Facebook is hiring and, and hiring React developers or JavaScript developers or do even doing JavaScript at Facebook. So I would say that the value that the person who's sliding up against Dan and working with them and getting feedback from him, he's actually getting mentorship directly from, from Dan. And I, I would say like, though that's not a, a monetary value, that, that experience, that like relationship that you get is actually invaluable, to be quite honest. And I said I was talking about the whole, you know, LA County and the the information sharing. Like the more the information is shared, the more value it's gonna be. Like the information I've gotten for free from just doing open source and being involved in the community and going to meetups is invaluable. I would not be here today without it. But if I relied on someone, you know, telling me that or me reading my own blog posts or me figuring out myself, I would not be here today. So I would say, like, yes, it would be nice to have a six-figure salary to work on open source every day and triage a bunch of issues. That would be amazing. But also the fact that Dan's accessible and makes himself accessible, I think is what it makes it the, the, the biggest difference. Like Dan is a he is a figurehead for the React community. But the fact that I can go to React open up a PR and get Dan or Brian Vaughn or somebody else from the team to actually review my stuff and like give me feedback and like tell me what's up and feel, make me feel comfortable, that's a big deal. For sure. The way we learn the quickest is when it's from somebody who knows more than us or has come before us is able to teach us, right? And like you said, I think that can be really invaluable for sure. Yep. Another thing I want to talk about is you've been a developer advocate for GitHub and previously for Netlify. And I know in the past you had mentioned you had been a little hesitant to take on the developer advocate role because you were really interested in coding and engineering work. And so I wonder, like, have you ever thought about going back into a more engineering-focused role or what kind of keeps you in the advocacy role? Um, so what keeps me there is the, uh, my paycheck. So I'm paid as a senior developer. Uh, that was the whole deal for me to go to GitHub. And that's helpful. Also, I love community. I love interacting with the community and having opportunities just to be out there. I missed being able to just put on my headphones and just write some code all day, go to lunch, come back, write some code all day, and then have like maybe a meeting once a week, do a stand up once a day. Like that's what I, I do miss that. And I do miss like that sort of like solidarity time. But also, I, I mean, I am a pretty outgoing person and happy to have those conversations. So, like, there isn't a balance. Uh, of doing that, and I think a lot of DevRel folks they do they kind of come and go. Not even like they don't quit DevRel, but they do go work on a project for a while just to get back in the right headspace uh, to be able to actually talk about DevRel. Like one of the, my biggest fears for doing developer advocacy full time is that not working on a project full time on a regular basis, your skills start to, I guess, not keep up. Because I mentioned you're only two years behind in the last thing that came out, so. If you're not constantly trying new things out and seeing what's out there, then it might be harder to, to get an engineering job later on. I've mostly given up on the the dream of climbing the engineering ladder, and I've only made that decision recently because I think I get a better feeling around writing code when it's my own code, but also open source. So another reason why I even have open source is because it was a project for me to have like long-standing code. Like learn how to write tests, learn how to use hooks and React when I was tra- everybody was transitioning. Like I had a project to be able to, to leverage, and there's no pressure at the ship. There's no PM uh, pushing me to like, hey, we should have had this last week. Like I get to basically instead of sit 
and write code. I, I watch a lot of tech videos. I do a lot of screencasts. I do a lot of Twitch videos as well. So I have like more freedom to uh, and less pressure to ship things, mainly because I don't have like a a project that needs to be shipped constantly. Uh, so I tend to build, and I, I like the pattern as developer advocacy, and I recommend this for anybody, like build a project that you can actually use to leverage your skills uh, and keep that going. So whatever it is, if it's your you know sourdough bread making app or whatever it is to tell you when to uh, feed your starter, which I, I mentioned that because I, I actually want to build that. But uh, anyway, like build something like that so that way you can leverage and talk about on a regular basis. And I think most DevRel folks, they have that app for them. And I think open source is mine. So yeah, yeah. I guess the original question was like, yeah, I, I do have uh, feelings around doing full-time engineering, but I'm actually pretty content with my, my role today and my access to information and leveling up my skill sets. Though it's like, I am not spinning up Kubernetes clusters and or even know how to do that. Like I've done it before, but like it's gonna take me a bit to uh, figure refigure that out. Like just give me the one that's working on your your repo and I'll I'll go from there. And that's sort of the my approach to code is just write it quick, get it done, and maybe write a test. Yeah, that's cool. It's it's sort of like you may not day to day be diving in really deep on on coding every day, but you kind of keep that for yourself for your own personal project so that you keep your skills up, and plus you kind of get to work on your own terms at your own pace, uh, so yeah. you don't lose sort of that that joy or the or the fun of, of just building things. Yeah, and I mean to be clear too as well, like I do have projects that I I do maintain. It's just that these are projects that I only maintain like twice a year for updates, and are basically I'm just basically having to depend a bot update them for me, and then every now and then we'll add a new feature or answer a question or something like that, but. All closed source stuff, stuff to sort of make my role DevRel uh, a lot easier. Cool. I know we're running up on time, and I, I just wanted to ask you one more question. You know, five years ago, you were a new developer. You moved from Florida to the Bay Area. You attended a lot of meetups and community events, and now you're on the other side. You know, you're the one giving talks. You're the one giving presentations and talking to new developers. How do you feel like? Things have changed. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 changed a lot, and I, I think asking the question now at the time that we're in currently, I'm I'm I envision it's going to change a lot even more in the next year. But I would say, like when I first got the uh, programming, like jQuery was definitely a legitimate place to like put all your JavaScript. CoffeeScript was probably the next level above it, and they were pretty they were pretty legit things to use. I know a lot of JavaScript developers from ten years ago are probably like cringing for me saying that, but like. You didn't have to know a whole lot. I think we had a lot of stuff that this, we sort of just took for granted. And we've seen a lot of security vulnerabilities because of that. So I think now I feel like the developer space is just leveled up and being educated in things like security, progressive web apps. So with that being said, there's a lot to learn. So you can't be counted on to know everything. And that's what the other thing about being a developer advocate is like, no one knows everything. So there's no there's no pressure for me to like get back in the engineering full time so I can know everything. Because no one does. Like no one's perfect at you know back end orchestrating of you know servers and spinning them up in containers and even on the front end doing CDNs. Like no one's really an expert on that. And I think people are really focused on things like the Jamstack, where you can just pick and choose and leverage tools and and free accounts to get your stuff mostly done. And I think that's that's been a big change too as well. And I think I've sort of rode the wave in that change, where I now have an entire project where I have no database. Uh, my database is literally github.com. And could I have done that uh, as easily five years ago? Probably. 
I roughly did it four years ago. So, but four years ago as a junior developer. So like that goes goes to show like we're we're transitioning in a way that if you wanted to build something on top of a third party API or whatever, like there's a lot of tools for you to use free. And I think there's a lot of VCs and a lot of founders and a lot of open source projects that are like really looking at the space and looking at this sort of democratization of developer tools and like how anybody has access to anything. And it's been super fascinating to see that. Cool. Well, I know you got to get off to a meeting. So I just want to say thanks for chatting with me today, Brian. Cool. Thanks, Jeremy. Looking forward to yeah seeing what comes out. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Brian. If you're interested in getting into open source, you can check out the show notes at softwaresessions.com. I've got links to Brian's project, Open Sauced, and a link to where he does his Twitch streams. The music in this episode is by Crystal Cola. All right, I'll see you next time.